Well, let's jump into the last installment of Goliath Must Fall. And the title of my message today is, People Will Fight With You Until They Fight With You. People will fight with you until they fight with you. And so we've been talking about David and Goliath. And, uh, you know, when you posture yourself and say, I'm going to take down that giant, I'm going to take down that difficulty. I'm going to go after the impossible. People will often tell you that's not possible. You can't do it. It's too difficult. You're crazy. You're conceited. How dare you dream bigger than what you normally should dream? And there's this quote by a missionary to China, James Hudson Taylor. He says this, there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult and then it is done. I love that quote. First it's impossible, then it's difficult, and then it is done. And I, I believe we've experienced a bit of that here at Kalos Church. What, you're gonna start a church in a comedy club? What, you don't know anybody in the Seattle region? What, you don't have a lot of money? How, you're gonna start a church in a comedy club? You're gonna be downtown? You're gonna be on the third floor? You're gonna turn a bar into a kid's ministry? Yes. Well, that that's, doesn't make sense. That's impossible. That's crazy. But look at us now. Look at us now. We're getting salvations. It's awesome. And so here we are for the glory of God. Praise God. And we truly believe if God did it then, he can do it again. Amen. As we move forward, as we dare to dream, as we dare to dream again, we're believing for amazing things. And so let's pray and we'll get into this. Dear Father, thank you so much for the ability to see what you're doing, to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we pray that many lives would be changed. Your name would be glorified, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. In, uh, in my marriage, there's this phrase I say to my wife a lot, and it's this. First they fight me, and then they follow me. Pretty even what? You want to build a, a, a structure in your backyard? That's illegal. The city of Bellevue, they won't let you build a little treehouse that's actually on the ground. You can't do that, it's illegal. Can I help you? <laughs> First they fight me, and then they follow me. When we were living in Korea, we lived in Korea for a year while we were dating, scandal. And uh, <laughs> we moved there and uh, I, I wanted to get a, a cell phone. And all the Americans who are living in Korea said, hey, you cannot get a cell phone plan if you're an American citizen because it goes through the government. You have to have like their equivalent of a social security number and you don't have that. They're not gonna give you a cell phone. First they fight me. Well, we went to the cell phone provider that very day and we said, hey, can I have a cell phone and a cell phone plan? And they said, nay which is Korean for yes. <laughs> they said yes, and we had these cell phones, and uh, I took the cell phones to our fellow American friends, and I said, look, we got cell phones. You said it couldn't be done, but we did it. They're like, can we get a cell phone? And we're like, nay. <laughs> First they fight me, and then they follow me, and then they're like, annyeonghaseyo. And I was like, I gave you a phone, and 
Now I'm gonna say donate na, which means give me your money. <laughs> we were in Korea, uh, the fellow Americans who had been there a year before us, they said uh, you cannot get a motorbike or a city bike, these awesome like 120cc bikes you could drive all over the city. They said you can't get that, that's impossible. You're American, you have to get insurance, you have to get a license, you have to do all these things. So we went to a bike dealership and we said, hey, can you give me a bike? They said, nay. And I was like, yes, this is amazing. And uh, we got this bike, and we got a bike during the coldest winter in 120 years in Korea. And Amrita was excited to drive around the mountains of Korea with her boyfriend, Pradeep, and me. And uh, the only catch was I had never driven a motorbike before. <laughs> it's a cold winter. We're in the mountains. Amrita's like, oh, I trust, I trust Pradeep. I'll get on the back of the bike. And we drove away from that dealership. She trusted me. We made it. It was so cold. And... Uh, and uh, we get back to where all of our American friends were. And we're like, hey, we got a motorbike. They said, no, that was impossible. I said, well, look at us now. We're driving. They're like, can I get one too? We're like, ha. First they fight me, Amrita, and then they follow me. They said it couldn't be done. But now we're driving around the mountains. And glory to God, because we took that step of faith, we got married, and now she's pregnant. We did it! <laughs> I love this idea of stepping out in faith, doing what other people say is impossible. And in this story, with David and Goliath, we see this very exact situation. And even in my life in Korea, I learned this lesson that I just want to contribute to this community. And it's this, never take a no from somebody who cannot give you a yes. Never take a no from somebody who can't give you a yes. Because when you dare to dream, when you propose to do something that's crazy or impossible, all the people who haven't experienced that will tell you why it's difficult or it's not possible, why you shouldn't try it. But then when you do it, they're like, oh man, I wanna do that too. And people will fight with you until they fight with you, until they join your side. So I want to contribute this little nugget. Don't take a no from somebody who can't give you a yes. And I believe that in this room, there are many of us who have had dreams or ideas or we've said this phrase in our heart or our mind, somebody should do something. Like somebody should get a cell phone. Somebody should get a bike or maybe it's somebody should create a church where there's real community and it's actually possible to make friends. Or somebody should reach all these people in the Seattle region since it's the most unchurched region in all of America and also the most de-churched region in America. Somebody should do something. You know, my, my marriage is really suffering. I wish my, my partner would do something about it. Or I, I'm just so like hopeless or my finances are bad. I wish somebody would just do something and help me. And we have this phrase and then we dare to dream. We dare to say to ourselves, like, okay, I'm going to step out. I'm going to fight for my marriage, or I'm going to fight for my family, or I'm going to fight for my finances, or I'm going to fight for my destiny. I'm going to go after the giants that are mocking me and haunting me, that are tormenting me. But then there's those voices in our head that say, ah, don't try that. 
Or maybe it's an actual voice from a friend like, hey, you're going to go after that promotion? You can't do that. You haven't been here as long as this person. Don't even try. Like, you need to do your due diligence first before you can dream big. Or you want to go after that degree? Like, ah, that's just a waste of money. Like, why are you going after that? You're applying for that job? Or you're putting your kids in that school? You're asking that girl on a date? You're asking that guy on a date? Like, ah, I, I, and then these voices kind of thwart out the voice that says, somebody should do something. Or what if this happened? Or what if I want to go after this. And so I I believe that many of us in our hearts, we've accepted the no's from people who can't give us a yes. We have stepped back in fear when we initially were trying to step forward in faith. And in the story of David and Goliath, just a little recap, we see that there's a giant who's been mocking an army, the Israelites, for 40 days. And he was mocking a group of people who had been trained and equipped to fight battles. There are two hills in the story and a valley in between them. There's the, the Philistines on one hill with a giant named Goliath, who some people say is like seven to nine, seven to 10 feet tall. He's equipped with incredible armor, heavy spears, just indestructible. And he's mocking the Israelites here for 40 days. And he's saying, hey, fight me. If you fight me and defeat me, all of us will be your slaves forever. But if we defeat you, you will be our slaves forever. And he's just not mocking civilians. He's mocking the army of God soldiers. In 40 days, these people who went out to fight a battle were afraid and hesitant and dismayed. And it says in the scripture, when Goliath would lift up his voice to mock them, the soldiers would run away. They would hesitate. They would stand in fear. How long have you been hesitating when it comes to your destiny? How long have you let giants mock you? How long have you let addictions tease you, tell you you will never overcome this? How long have the voices in your head or the people around you got you to sit back while others are living their dreams? And today, I just believe that giants will fall. We've been in this series about 40 days now, and I believe giants in our community are falling because we're daring to dream. We're daring to fight. We're not just going to sit back and accept the voices in our head that say, don't even try. You know, when Amrita and I moved here to Bellevue to start a church and a comedy club, we said this phrase to a group of people who are crazy enough to dream with us. We said, hey, we might not be successful. are most church plants in this region will fall within two to five years. This is very difficult. 90% of church plants in America, church plant being a fancy way to start up a church or a church startup, 90% of church plants in America fail. But will you dare to dream with us? Because to be honest, we don't even feel called to be successful. We just feel called to try. And we're not going to accept a no 
from somebody who can't give us a yes. In fact, we're going to follow the voice of God who says yes and amen to all of his promises, believing that if God helped us back then, he can do it again. We're not called to succeed. We're called to obey the voice of God and just try. And this is what the army had been trained for. The Israelites were trained for battle, but they hesitated because what if this giant defeats me? And they did not do what they were called to do because they were afraid and they sat back and sat back until a little shepherd boy showed up. Some people say he's 13 to 15 years old. He shows up with cheese and grain. He had been a shepherd. He wasn't at the battle and he decides, I'm going to fight this giant. How dare this giant mock me? I'm not going to accept this anymore. I'm going to try and I don't care if I lose because somebody's got to do something and I'm not just going to complain. I'm going to fight. I'm going to try. I'm going to step out in faith believing that God can win. God can be victorious. And I I believe that there's some lessons we can learn from David. And I want to share these things that we can remember when we are in our hearts hesitating to go after the dreams and the desires and the plans God has put inside of us. Things that will help us when we're in the trance that makes us hesitant and tentative to go after the giants in our life like the army of Israel. And so the first thing I believe David learned and demonstrated was David had to learn to turn. He was about to fight this giant, and David learned to turn. Why don't you touch someone and say, learn to turn. Learn to turn. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, picking up in the story, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? So David had been a shepherd. He was not in the army. Now his brother's like, what are you doing here, little brother? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? And then he attacks David. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. He turned away and asked someone, what happens when you defeat the giant? And they started talking about his preferred future. He started talking about the reward. And even as we try to start this church, and people are like, you can't start a church in a comedy club. Like, that, do you know what people do in this club? They drink alcohol. <laughs> they listen to secular music. And then we said, all right, well, then we'll pray that they drink so much on Saturday night that they pass out and wake up in the presence of Almighty God. And by the looks of you, that happened to a couple. (laughs) People said, you know what? Like, Pradeepin, why, why, why are you going after people on social media? Why do you want us to invite so many people? Like, you're just a church that's focused on numbers. Like, you, you actually want to reach the lost. You actually want more people to experience the beauty of Jesus. Uh, you're, you're just focused on numbers. You pretty been, you desire that none shall perish like God does. You're all about numbers. <laughs> and it's like, it's like David here. He, he's like seeing this giant mocking. And then what does his brother do? He says he's conceited. That he's just there for 
watching the battle. And we've had texts like that on our life. You just want to start a church so you can be in charge, you can be the leader, because you need to be famous. You're just stroking your ego. You're so conceited. You're in a club. You have sinners in your church. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like the biggest one of them. I listen to secular music all the time. But you know what? We dare to dream. And like David, he gets attacked by his brother. You're conceited. And what David did is awesome, and I think we can learn from that. He turned away from his brother. He said, you know what? I'm not going to take your no. I'm going to follow God who says, yes, that the giants in this land must be defeated. God has commanded us to take this land. Everywhere we put our feet, that will be the Lord's. And I'm not just going to sit back while giants are mocking us. And there are people in Bellevue in the Seattle region who need the beauty of Jesus. There are people in this room that need family and community. And I don't care if it's in a comedy club. I don't care if people say we're in sinner territory. I don't care if people say we're all about numbers. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to help those who can't help themselves. So me all you want, but I am following the voice of God, and I will turn to him who cares about the lost. I will turn to the one who's been where I'm going. I will turn to the one who loves me as I am and says freely receive, but also freely give. I will turn to Jesus and turn away from the voices who would put doubt in my heart. Amen? And I just believe that doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. Doubt kills it. It makes us hesitate. It makes us stand on our feet. And sometimes we look at this army and the scriptures and like, how could they just stand there? They were afraid. I mean, the commands were given so clearly in the Old Testament. They were told that God is with them. God will help them experience victory. But they were afraid of the giant. And I think the same thing can happen to us. I mean, the command for us as followers of Jesus Christ has been given. It's been clear. I mean, even in Matthew 28, 19, the scripture says, Jesus says this to the disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And for us, we're like... Okay, the command's been given. My life has been changed by Jesus. I know I'm supposed to share the gospel, but like, what if people reject me? What if I offend someone? Like, I'm not just the kind of person who shares the gospel. I'm not eloquent. I don't have what it takes. I didn't go to Bible school. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. Yeah, somebody should, you know, share the love of Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I, I, I just am not as good as some people in sharing my faith. I cannot take down the gates of death and Hades and darkness. I cannot be light in the darkness because, like, what if it doesn't work? What if I hurt someone's feeling by trying to love them? And I, I just believe that as believers... The commands have been given to the army of God where we are meant to take down the gates of death, that we aren't just a church that huddles and cuddles. We are not a church where we say, hey, this whole church exists for us, but we believe that we are a church and we exist for the world, that we have a mission that's been given by Jesus, and we are called to make disciples of all nations and to make known the beauty of Jesus. And somebody's got to do something. And we can't just hesitate. We got to stop listening to the voices in our head and say, that say, oh, someone else will do it. That's not my calling. 
I don't need to invite anybody to a relationship with Jesus. I never need to share my faith. And I think we can fall into the same trance that these soldiers were in, where people have attacked us in our dreams. You're too zealous. You're too on fire. You're too passionate about the Lord. And we've accepted a no in our heart. But I believe that that day changes for all of us starting now, where we start fighting for the dreams God has placed in our hearts. Amen? And so when someone says to you, oh, that, that dream is impossible, and they say, you know, sometimes when people talk about the impossibility of dreams, I like this line, people say nothing is impossible, but glory to God, I do nothing all the time. <laughs> Think about it. Pray about it. <laughs> I do it all the time. But we need to learn how to turn. And I know you guys know how to turn. Sometimes I text some of you and I don't get a response for three weeks. You've turned. When I'm at a party and I'm lecturing them about the Bible or something and I see their body language just turning away from me, they're like, uh-huh. Yes, that's awesome. Man, I'm totally into this conversation. <laughs> they have learned how to turn. Some of us don't know at all how to pick up on that body language. <laughs> We're like, yeah, I love that. But we, like, when we have these voices telling us, like, you can't do this, you shouldn't even try. Like David, he turned away from his brother, and he got obsessed with the reward again. Not just listening to facts, but listening to faith. Amen? The second thing David did when he was forced into maybe being in a season of hesitation like the rest of the military was, was David didn't keep his faith to himself. You know, David wasn't just thinking about himself when he was forced to hesitate. In 1 Samuel 17, 47, it says, all those gathered here, this is David's declaration. This is a little uh, preview or an insight into his heart. He says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. I, lo I love that. He's not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about all of God's people. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands? No, into our hands. He's thinking about the collective environment here, the collective benefit. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed for the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. So they're filled with fear. But I, I, I believe that when we are forced into a situation to like be afraid or hesitate, say somebody should do something, but I don't know if it's me, we need to remember that this whole idea of dreaming isn't only about us and our individual destinies. Like Christianity isn't just about self-fulfillment. This church isn't just about all of our individual needs. Like here at Kalos, we believe in something called communitas, which is even greater than community. Community is the community exists for me, but communitas says 
Me or I exist for the community. I will serve something greater than myself. I will join a collective identity for a mission. Yeah, I need my needs met. Yes, I need help. But we exist for something greater than just individuals. We exist for others. We will make known the beauty of Jesus and not hoard it to ourselves. And so David, he brings in the group identity into play. He says, all of us will have this giant delivered into our hands. Everybody will know about the great name. And so we need to remember when it comes to faith, stepping out into dreams, it's not just about us. We shouldn't keep our faith to ourselves. Amen. We shouldn't keep our faith to ourselves. I was reminded of the scripture thinking about faith with my my wife. We're just talking about the idea of faith. And there's something interesting that happens in the life of Jesus. He would say, you are healed to some people who are dealing with sickness because of the faith of others. He wouldn't say it was because of the faith of the person who was sick they were healed, but it was because of the faith was in others. In Mark 2, picking up on a story where Jesus says a phrase just like this, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that, was, that there was no room left. Sounds like Kalos Church, amen. And uh, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And I just love that all these people were gathering around the preaching of the word. It's amazing to have the word in our life. And I believe that as we gather to preach the word of the Lord, we will encounter Jesus. Amen. So they preached the word to them. In verse 3, some men came bringing to them a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. It's one of the reasons why we want to have a second service because sometimes we're getting too crowded and we don't have enough seats for everybody. So we're opening up. <laughs> and so they, they opened a, a roof hole. Please don't do that. <laughs> Here, above <laughs> Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, does it say when Jesus saw his faith? No. When Jesus saw their, plural, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And I believe that as we battle together, as we think of others, even as we launch a second service, as we invite our friends to gather around the teaching of the word in a crowded room, I believe because of our faith, other people's sins will be forgiven. Because we are stepping out because we're daring to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of the gospel, because we're daring to be rejected for the sake of the gospel, other people will find forgiveness of sins, healing, hope, life, because people need it. You know, I, I as a pastor even, I'll, I'll let you know, we've been very vulnerable on this stage. This is probably the, the hardest year of our life. And I have tons of faith for this church, but at times I have little faith for the sake of my family. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to pray at times. And uh, I've wept a lot with my family. We've had troubles dreaming. I mean, I mean, from divorces in my family to people being on their deathbed to, I mean, just so many different things. But I want to be honest, the people in this church have carried us. You guys have had faith for our family when we didn't have faith for ourselves. You've dared to dream with us and invest 
with us. You've carried us on mats. You've broken down roofs. You've showed up at our house. You've helped us with our, our child. And, like, we just feel so embarrassed how needy we are at times. We are so, we want to contribute to others' life, but we find ourselves asking for help, like, all the time, and it's embarrassing, and I, I hate it, to be honest, but the faith of the people in the room has healed us, has helped us. And I, I just love the fact that even if you don't have enough faith for yourself, there's a community here that says, I will have faith for you. I will dream for you. I will stand for you. I will bring you into rooms, even if it's awkward, even if I have to tear down roofs. And that's just the kind of community we have at Kalos, and I'm so thankful. I'm just amazed at the beauty of Jesus that's been demonstrated here. And I, I don't want us to be content with just doing it for ourselves. There's a whole community, there's a whole city that doesn't know Jesus. That is living in just darkness and depression. They feel like they have no friends. They don't know what to do. And we are the answer to their prayers. And our faith can help people. Our faith can set people free. Our faith can bring people to Jesus where they can experience life and life abundantly. And David didn't keep his faith for himself. He shared it with others, amen? We're called. We're called to help those who can't help themselves. We are. We're called to help those who can't help themselves. And as followers of Christ, as people who have been found by Jesus, found people are called to find people. This is our destiny. The orders have been given. The orders have been given. The third thing David did in a potential season of hesitation was this. David let his faith be contagious. David's faith was contagious. In 1 Samuel 17, Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shariam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. So this same army that was in a trance that felt like we can't attack this giant, suddenly they felt bold enough to attack the rest of the Philistines. This army had been waiting on the sidelines for 40 days, watching, wondering, fear, dismayed. But when they saw David defeat the giant, they thought, wow, if God's helping him, maybe God will help us. And our faith is contagious. When you share a testimony about how God has saved your marriage or healed you, you know what it does for the rest of the people? It makes them think, wow, if God helped them, why can't he help me? If God brought them victory, why can't he help me? When you live your life and at work, you're joyful, you're full of hope, even when you're going through a hard time. The people around you are wondering, man, if God changed your life and has given them a reason to live, maybe he will give me one too. And our faith becomes contagious. And uh, Pastor Amritha preached about this a number of weeks in her sermon, Fear Must Fall. But we realized that David wasn't different because of how he fought. David was different because of how he thought. And when the giant was defeated, the soul soldiers realize we don't have to think like we used to. We don't have to take a no from somebody who can't give us a yes. We can fight and we can win. And Kalos Church, I believe that as we make known the beauty of Jesus, I believe and declare today, we can fight and we can win. We can see people experience life and life abundantly. We can see marriages restored. We can see finances restored. We can see sicknesses healed. We can see people dream again. Amen? For the glory of God. 
for the glory of God. And David's faith was contagious. And the soldiers that had been sitting on the sidelines, suddenly they snapped out of a trance and they realized, we're soldiers. We're called to fight. We're soldiers. We're called to fight. And I believe that some of us in this room have been in a trance too long. And I just want to speak to all of us here at Kalos Church. Remember who you are. You're soldiers in the army of Christ, and you're called to fight for the sake of love. You are called to fight. You are called to win. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And I just want to see the trance break. For those of us who used to be reckless in our faith, reckless in our dreams, reckless in our attempts to make known the beauty of Jesus, can we go for it again? Can we be the soldiers that God sees us as? Can we live for something other than ourselves and say, hey, God, I will join you. I will fight your battles and I will defeat darkness with you. And I believe that that's what these two services represent. We're going after the giants of sin and death and darkness and hopelessness and people without families. And we're saying, hey, my faith is your faith. (laughs) My faith, I'm not keeping it for myself anymore. My faith is your faith. And I just believe we are called to dream again. I mean, look what God has done in this room. Our first meeting at Kalos Church was three people a year ago. And then five people. And then more lives, people who are suicidal in this room, people who are on the brink of just giving up on the church, people who didn't believe in friendships anymore in this room. But we fought together, and we've experienced victory together. Can we fight again? Can we fight again? Can we be the army of Christ? Can we dream for the city? Man, please. Give your faith to the Seattle region. Their sins could be forgiven. Their hearts could be healed. Their destinies could be realized. Let them borrow your faith. Let's pray. Dear Father, I I just thank you so much for the opportunity to share. Lord, I, I just pray that we would snap out of the trance, that we would dream and fight. And I... I know that this room is filled with dreamers and fighters. I mean, the only reason we're here in this place right now is because this room is filled with crazy people who have just taken risk after risk and trusted and, and, and believed your word that you will bring people to you as we lift up the name of Jesus. This room is filled with dreamers and crazy people. But I, I, I just, I hate that sometimes there's voices that just say, no, you can't do that. That's impossible. That's difficult. You're never going to have a good marriage. Leave, leave that person. Your, your finances are in a mess. You know, you need to leave the city. You can't, you can't hang anymore. Or you, you've sinned too much. Like, your ministry dream is dead. Or you're, you're too old. You're too young. And like, we were wild dreamers, but these voices shut us down again and again and again and again. And I, I just want to say, wake up from that trance. And Lord, help us. Help us to wake up that we would see ourselves as you see us, we pray, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Who's ready to dream again? Come on. God's doing great things. And it's going to get crazy next week with two services. Hey, and uh, before I get off this stage, I just want to give an opportunity for anybody here who you don't feel very close to God. You feel like you're drowning in shame or sins or feeling like you need a fresh start. You want a relationship with God. You just 
want to want to start afresh. I believe this is a perfect morning to pray a prayer, not a magic spell or anything, but just to say, Jesus, I need you. Would you help me surrender my life to you? I want to follow you. I want a fresh start. And so if I could pray for you, I would love to. I'd be honored. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand so I know who to pray for. And I'll, I'll make it a private moment just between us and God, but when we all close our eyes and bow our heads, if you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Pradeep, and pray for me, I want, I want to give my life to God. Uh, I want a new start. I want to surrender. I want to follow. I can't live life on my own terms anymore. I need Jesus desperately. Pastor Pradeepan, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus. On the count of three, would you lift up your hand so I can see it? One, two, three. Slip up your hand. Awesome. I see that hand. Awesome. Thank you for being so bold. All right. You can put your hands down. Hey, I'm proud of you. And we want to be a community that's here for you. And so why don't we pray this prayer together as a community all at the same time? Like I said, it's not a magic spell, but maybe some words to articulate what's happening in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause?